0: Okay, let's do this, guys. This is Silicon Reel, the video podcast dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel, which is a similar three-person format. Uh, We just had uh, Bruce Perry, which is the the guy from BBC's Tribe, in here last week. Uh, We had uh, the 4-Hour Workweek's Tim Ferriss, uh, futurist Jason Silva, and even drug smuggler Howard Marks have all been right there in that chair. Um, so, in your spare time, check that out. But this is Silicon Real. My co host today is Mr. Bryce Keen, who is the founder and director of uh, Albion Drive and is also a member and founder of, you guessed it, the Three Beards. This is one of them, folks. Uh, they run the weekly um, Drink drinkabout, which is right here in Shoreditch, literally like clicks away from where we're right now, um, which is a weekly event on Friday nights. Except for tonight, you have your second edition of Chew the
1: Fat. Chew in the Fat. Can you just tell us what that is? It's a uh, monthly uh, evening conversation with a high profile uh, VC entrepreneur ecosystem player uh, designed to bring the community closer to the people that make the headlines and let them ask questions of those people fantastic along with beer and food
0: and beer and food on <laughs> top of that yeah you had um Ben Southworth uh, interviewing Rohan Silva I think last
1: one right that was it yeah that was it that was our very first one and tonight we've got uh, we've got three vcs um one of whom is with us today, but I'll let you do that intro. I don't fantastic. want to ruin it. Don't want to ruin the mojo. Cool, man. I know. I'm,
0: I'm looking forward to that later. <laughs> I love your first one I watched it on video. It was fantastic. It. Um, we like Ben. Ben was the very first guest on this show. So. Which is cool, yeah. Yeah, it's always good. But uh, moving on, our guest today is Mr. Max Niederhofer, who is a venture capitalist with Sunstone Capital, which is a, a billion dollar fund based in Copenhagen. I like that city a lot. Uh, You were formerly with Excel Partners, Atlas Venture, and you were also an entrepreneur with uh, Quirly, which was a data
2: marketing service. Well pronounced.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you. Uh, Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, I was curious uh, if you could just tell us what has uh, Copenhagen been like? How is it different from London or from Germany where you grew up?
2: Sure. So I actually grew up in Germany and Canada, right? So it's, um, uh, my, my German heritage is like half of, uh, of my childhood, and then Canada is the other half. Copenhagen is super relaxed. It's a very nice town. It is a town where public policy has uh, created you know, large open spaces for people to hang out. And it's, uh, it's generally just very pleasant, right? Um, the air is better than London. The pace is a bit slower. Um, the food's very good. So I'm, I'm very happy to have made the move. You know, after 10 years in London, a bit of a change of scenery was quite good. Okay, nice. It's uh, the air's better.
0: This is fighting words. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, are
0: you
1: going to really take that fight on though? I don't, I don't know if I am. No, probably not.
0: Um, <laughs> it's there are some very good restaurants there. There are some like top gastronomy yes. places, right? I forgot the name of it, but there's one of them,
2: it's
1: Noma, like, which is
2: which used to be the top restaurant uh, in the world. Is there and now? It's number two. Um, and there's a bunch of other places. You know, it's, it's funny. Restaurants are a bit like startups. They spawn this ecosystem. And, um, and Noma has had a bunch of people that they've imported to, uh, to Copenhagen. You know, sous chefs, head chefs, um, uh, people running the front of the restaurant. And they've all, um, after a while, kind of met Danish girls, decided to stay in, uh, in Copenhagen and, uh, and have opened um, have opened dance. other restaurants.
1: Yeah. Great Danes. Great <laughs>
0: Well yeah. have, have you heard all the Denmark cracks? Have you heard that is it rotten in Denmark? Have you heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. Did all yes. of your friends email you that yes. joke?
2: Well, I, the thing the thing about uh, about Hamlet is really that uh, um I mean Shakespeare never visited Denmark, yeah, right? What, and he no. he based it off of this castle Elsinore and it's I mean, you go to the castle, but he hadn't even visited it right now. And Elsinore is marketing itself as the Hamlet Castle, and it actually has nothing to do with it whatsoever. So,
1: yes. Ah, uh, tourism. Okay. The joys of, of good foreign marketing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, he had never been, huh? He had never. Well, I, that's I what I read.
0: I think no, you're don't, right. Don't look it up. It wouldn't surprise me. He imagined well, right? Right. Mm. Very good. You know, I saw a quote from you and I thought I would just kick it off with this. And so I'm going to quote you telling me if I'm right. Yeah, there's no profanity in this quote. Um, Not in this one. You you said the real problem is the series A crunch. There's not enough of those VCs around. So you have the pick of the litter. Um, Is that accurate?
2: And what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, that's obviously a little uh, extreme, but I think it's true that we have a ton of seed financing in Europe. There are a lot of uh, successful angels doing investments. There are a lot of micro VCs. Um, kind of small seed funds, um, incubators, accelerators. So we have a ton of seed companies, you know, I think 2,000 to 3,000 new companies created in the tech space in Europe per year. Uh, And then I think I can count on, uh, you know, uh, well, not two hands, but... There's maybe three, four, five dozen um, Series A financing. So, it's a minute percentage of, of the companies that actually get created. So, I think the Series A crunch is very real. I think there are very few Series A investors in Europe. Um, again, maybe a dozen funds or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in general, that's a huge problem, right? Um, and I think, I think governments are, um, are kind of trying to create new funds. They're trying to invest direct um, partially, um, at least uh, You know, in, in Germany and Denmark, partially in the U.K., um, and I think that's healthy, but uh, but it's quite dire. If you're an entrepreneur in Europe, the best advice is uh, is build
1: a company that you can bootstrap. Don't depend on external financing.
0: Okay, so that's where you come in,
1: and yeah. and some other VCs. Well, that's what we had Simon in the studio, and he his big thing we talked about this before is is the Series B crunch. I mean, his his uh, one of his lines is that obviously if you if you raise Series A in the U.S., you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to raise uh, a second round, a third round. Whereas in Europe, it's one in five or something yeah. like that and, and uh, you know that's one of his things is that, that those growth rounds um, which is interesting actually to hear you say series A and, and, and he says series B so I mean it's semantics
2: of, right it's a question yeah. of I mean what is series A anymore right like is it when Halo raised um, you know their their seed round from Wellington and Atomico is three million dollars right is that a seed round is that an early series A without you know without having the product launch and then Axel came in and did I think something like a fifteen sixteen million million dollars series a, or is it a series B, right? I mean, it's really a question of definitions. You don't, you don't really know. The fact is there is very little follow on financing. There's very little institutional capital at all in Europe. And mm. I think that is a problem.
0: You know, it's one thing we always ask the guys that are here, you know, a lot of times they're entrepreneurs, but I think it applies for, for VCs as well. We always just ask them quite, quite blatantly, you know, when it comes to Sunstone, like, what have you guys done? What do you plan to do? And I always ask, why will you win? Like, what makes you think that you guys will win in
2: your space? What do you define as winning? I mean, like I a say, it's succeed a, over the others, or what? What
0: makes things? I mean, you? I
2: think I think you know there are so few people in this market that I think we have to be interested in making everyone successful, right? I think we want the entrepreneurs to succeed. We want our um, you know the the funds that we syndicate with to succeed. We want the ecosystem in general to flourish. So. I'm not, the market is not competitive to, to the point of where we are actually very happy um, to co-invest with other people, mm-hmm. um, to, to um, see our companies raise follow-on financing from funds and partners that we consider friends. Um, I think the biggest or the best answer to, to why we will do well and have done well in the past is that we are just able and willing to accept risks that other people are not able or willing to accept. Um, the, uh, the best example of that is what's potentially our biggest company. Um, it's a presentation software company called Prezi, um, that was, yeah. uh, you know, built out of Budapest, um, where we did the series A pre-launch, um, and the company then raised uh, money from Excel in the U.S. in the series B. Today has, uh, over 20 million registered users, um, is still growing like wildfire, and for us is, um, very interesting because it's in a strategically important space, right, which is productivity software, uh, where, where Microsoft has, um, PowerPoint, uh, but PowerPoint's an aging product. Apple has keynote, but it's, you know, it's a software product that's not as mature, um, is definitely not accepted in enterprise. And Google with Google apps has a, you know, a, a good and interesting take on the segment, but is, is nowhere close to uh, the usage that the other ones have. So mm-hmm. that's why we think it's strategic. And for us, it's a, it's a very good company. Now the, the question is kind of, how did we get there? Um, and I think the, the or how do we get to invest in the Series A, not other people? And, and the answer to that is, you know, we have a relatively young team. Um, it's very hungry, very aggressive, um, has lots of stamina, um, travels a lot. Um, and, uh, and generally when it, it meets these companies, it's able to make decisions very quickly. And I think compared to a lot of the other, especially the larger funds, um, our decision-making processes, because we're four investing partners around the table, um, you know, we can come to a decision within... 24 hours, right? So we do make decisions very quickly when we like an entrepreneur and we like a, we like a take on a certain market. Um, I think that's one of the reasons. The other one is that we do do a lot of research. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, this is actually something I learned at Excel, so more power to them. Um, but they have this quote, internally, chance favors the prepared mind. And, uh, and I think if you keep up with technology in certain segments, if you do the work, um, then once you come on, upon an entrepreneur who's, who's doing something interesting, you're able to evaluate that more quickly than other people.
0: You know, you say the city, Budapest, and I'm sure a lot of funds just shut their radar down.
1: Sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you mean by you're willing to take risks and look at some things that other people might just say, like, I don't even want to get involved with that country
2: Um, or that foreign currency? I mean, I I can't think of a single um, European investor that would say, you know, Central European countries are... are, uh, are off the radar, um, especially since they're European Union now. They have well-established legal systems. Um, they're cheap to operate in. I, so I would be surprised if anyone said, you know, we don't want to invest there. Um, mm. I think if they if they can't invest there, it's something else. Um, you know, Russia, Turkey um, are, are a bit more kind of the, on the emerging market side of things, and it's a bit more complicated to invest. Um, I think when we say we, we, we're willing to take risks, it's not so much geography as it is you know, product adoption risk, um, market risk to some extent. We like betting on people that, um, you know, are bets that others might consider contrarian, right? We like product-focused entrepreneurs. Uh, we like people with you know a deep knowledge of their space that are perhaps not as commercial as other people, right? So we've uh, we've kind of said, well, of course, we like people who've gone to HBS. Of course, we like people who've kind of uh, you know done it before, serial entrepreneurs. Um, but at the same time, we're willing to take uh, significant bets on folks who, um, who have a great product background. And I think that's unusual in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. There are just not that many engineers, CEOs. And Prezi is a prime example of someone,
1: uh, you know, Peter Arby who's, uh, who's uh, scaled incredibly well. Yeah, I've used it before. It's like an interesting replacement for PowerPoint, is how I, me- I remember um, when it first came out. And yeah. uh, it just makes you, um, you imagine standing in a boardroom and you're... One slide, two slide. You know, we've all done that, right? It it, move, it visually moves, and you kind of just have one big canvas, and then the screen kind of moves around. It's quite visual, keeps people awake a bit more, I guess, than just. It's an interesting product, and probably now to date, probably Hungary's most high profile startup, I would say, by far. I don't know if there are any others. I, I don't know. I don't There's before. one
2: other one, and I'm
1: I'm I'm
2: glad you can't edit this and uh, <laughs> ignore it. This is not a VC case. Hungary's best startup is a company called LiveJasmine.com, which is a um, Let's say it's just a voice and video over IP startup. Let's call it that way, and it's um, it's porn, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Okay, <laughs> it, just, just it is, but it's you... phenomenally profitable. And we had uh, we we uh, apparently I wasn't there Good with call. I could, I could tell because it was always voice
1: and video
2: over. Well, it's IP. webcams, right? It's cam to cam kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, and I missed that. Apparently, <laughs> we had uh, look it up on Alexa. It's like the top five site in every European country. It's amazing. Yeah, um, that's interesting. We right? had a chance to invest in it. But obviously, we didn't. So those guys are very, very rich. Wow. Now, you said obviously you didn't. What, what keeps you from investing in something like that? We um, have uh, investors that are, uh, you know, public funds, pension funds, um, okay. and our agreements with them limit us from, from doing something that, that is not generally considered, you know, uh, in, uh, in the public uh, interest, uh, interest, right? right. Is yeah. that
0: sketched so, out in a charter, or is that just something that you? No, it's
2: part of our limited partnership agreement. Okay. Absolutely. So we can't do, you know, pornography. We can't do gambling. Uh, we can't sell hard liquor or online. Right? Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. What's the definition of porn? Like some judge in the U.S. once said, like uh, you know can't define it, it, but you know yeah, when you see it, right. so. <laughs> it's like art. You <laughs> is know? that the so... definition of a company you can't invest in? You can't
1: define it. But you I know think know anything you see
2: selling it. naked stuff over the internet is probably. Very uh, yeah,
1: we had this the big debate, um, which was fantastic here with. Um, Wonga and the and the the church. Did you see that story? No, and, no, no, no. Oh goodness! The Archbishop came Oh yeah. It's like oh, it's terrible, Wonga, and then uh, and then <laughs> he went on national television to sort of saying it was just a terrible thing. And then the next day it came out that um, the Anglican or whatever the church was had invested in the fund that had invested in Wonga. Oh really? There oh, that was unbelievable. That was how's a,
2: the how's the public opinion towards uh, Wonga at the moment? I
1: don't know. I. I I uh it, it, it sways and it goes. I mean, I think love them or hate them, right. they are they are there and they are you know they here are to stay, right? they, they're here to stay. They are here to stay. And they, I mean, the thing I guess the thing with Wonga is you know I can't really comment because it's kind of a divisive type of startup. I guess in many ways, but at the same time, like there is the argument that they are the most transparent of a very shadowy industry. Right. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It just means they're more public and therefore the biggest punching bag. But, sure. you know, do you see what I mean? It's kind of like, it's kind of one of those things where like, we can't pretend that, that payday loans has never existed. It's been right. in the UK for a long time, but, you know, and this time they're riding off, they've got sort of debt or whatever, but it used to be a guy comes around to your house with a big bat and breaks your legs. So I think we've gone a long oh, way from there. And, and I think nice.
2: that's nice. <laughs> we no longer send, um, you know, angry letters. Yeah. I mean, I think I, so I met these, uh, I met Errol and John T. For the first time when they were raising their Series B um, and I was at Atlas, um, they're great entrepreneurs. They are.
1: They yeah. really are.
2: I think, uh, you know, Errol is uh, probably one of the smartest people I know. Um, John T is, uh, you know, an artist when it comes to tech. I think he's phenomenal. Um, now, they, they've applied kind of a, um, you know, a tech mindset to an industry that, uh, that was very shadowy, you know. And, um, and I'm not sure where I come out on it morally, ethically but at the very least they're selling a product that a lot of people want, right? And now, you know, it's up to public policy to say whether they are too profitable. yeah right. of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in the end but I, I mean clearly there's a demand for it right and if, if, if people need to you know get loans apparently these guys are better at it than the banks
1: so. yeah exactly and I think we're gonna try and get longer on the show at some point yeah I'd love
0: to talk to him I think you know they're in the headlines for these splashy pieces where they're battling with the archbishop but just like any kind of scandalous headline in the sun or something I think people look past that and then they keep using the service and they keep doing something right So yeah, exactly. I think it's gonna be here for a while
1: yeah I, so, think,
2: I mean I think so i just i mean the, the nice thing about Wonga is that um, and, and it's it 's kind of part of the companies I always mention is they will drive a uh, you know the, the the new generation of investment in European venture capital right i think I think Wonga going public um, you know spotify going public um, just eat uh, to some extent you know wix but Rovio and supercell so there's all these great companies that are kind of about to sell, they're at a billion plus kind of valuation.
1: King.com and, as well.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I think at that point, once these companies have demonstrated that you, you, know, you can build a very large tech business in Europe, um, some of the investors in venture capital funds that, that have stayed away from the market for the last couple of years are going to come back. And that's great. I think that's good for all of us.
1: Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, it does fuel the, the next generation. Yeah. You know, yeah. when people like that good then turn around and say, okay, now we want to start investing in the, the next generation and we know what we're looking for. That's a very powerful thing to have. On yeah. The and we could
0: use some big exits, like you said, and get yeah. some, some more money to be invested. Um, we always have a, a devil's advocate part of this venture. so I'll start off and then you can ask him a question next. I mean, I look at Sunstone and I see a couple things that I'm sure are very obvious. First of all, you're located in Copenhagen, right. you're not in like a, a necessarily a major metropolitan area and your fund sizes is a is billion dollars. So does that does that restrict you by not having, say, more capital or not being in a London or a Berlin or something like that? Yeah, does it
2: okay so so first of all, just to, to, to correct that perception, it's, we have a billion dollars in committed capital, okay. so across all of the funds that sunstone manages it's it's nine hundred million dollars or something like that um, now two thirds of that is life sciences, so I have very little to do with that except I have. Um, Partners um, that are running separate funds that are investing only in life sciences. Um, now, on the tech side, we have um, you know three funds um, that are uh, that are Sunstone denominated, and uh, the last one of that is the one we're investing. So we're actually investing a fund that's 110 million dollars. So that's quite much smaller, right? right. So so traditional kind of um, you know 25 million dollars per investing partner. That's traditional early stage venture capital kind of size. Um, in terms of the location, Copenhagen, I was very skeptical when I joined Sunstone about the location, because I said, you know, all the good companies in Europe come through London, right? They all travel there for uh, to, to to get capital. And I think that's still true. Um, the wonderful thing about Copenhagen is that you are really smack deck. Like If you look at a map of Europe, you're in the middle, right? It takes me 45 minutes to get to Berlin on a flight. It takes me two hours to London. It takes me you know, two hours to Paris. It takes, uh, you know, it, it takes an hour or so to Stockholm. Like, it's very central, right? So I can... Hop to anywhere. Is it more difficult to get companies to travel to Copenhagen? No doubt, right? Uh, But is it easier for me to do my job? And I'm on the road three to four days a week, right? So I'm I'm living 15 minutes from the airport. And from my house to the gate after check-in takes me 25 minutes. That's awesome, right? I can't get that in London. So to some extent, it's making life easier for me. Um, One of the things that attracted me to Sunstone was we're entrepreneurs in our own right. Right you know it 's not an uh, it 's not an old fund founded in two thousand and seven, so we 're getting to build what I consider you know like a uh, technology asset management firm to some extent right mm-hmm. we 're starting off an early stage venture and uh, and i 'm very certain we'll be successful there, but we also want to do other things so I think it's, uh, Copenhagen as a location is, uh, has its benefits, has its disadvantages, but so does London, right? Because the infrastructure is absolutely awful.
0: Yeah. I, I avoid the airport <laughs> at all costs. I just hate the whole thing. I just, yeah. And then when you get into Luton Stansted, it gets even more. Luton, yes. It gets even worse. Um, okay. Well, that was fair enough. Um, talk to me, Bryce. We'll, so
1: devil's advocate question. Yeah. Um, so my burning question, because this is the first time I've met Max now, but I, I, I've known of Max um, for quite a long time through, through the Twitters. If uh, He's at Max Niederhoffer. He's very funny on Twitter. Oh, yeah. one, of his, one of my favorite tweets actually is... Um, it's one of my favorites. Um, your business is in Shoreditch and your servers are in the USA. The only thing in the cloud is you. I quite like that one that stuck with me I don't know why it just poetry made me, it just it made me laugh um, however so Max uh, I knew from the Twitters and around uh, mainly and it's obviously the first time we've met for the interview but Max was as far as I was aware the probably the most high profile face of Axel in London at least in the public in the community people knew who he was he was out there he was doing his tweeting so you were the vice president of Axel devil's advocate question what made you take a step away from that kind of role which obviously is a quite very very high profile kind of role sure. in, in in a very very central city as vice president of excel to go and do sort of this to sunstone which again you're still in my opinion the most high profile of that fund but that's more about because you've been around and done lots of things but what convinced you to take that step and, and it's i mean probably playing into brian's point about copenhagen obviously being a sort of a slightly left of center uh, sure. choice but and this was in april then you made the move is that right yeah january
2: february i I left excel April yeah. I joined Sunstone. um I mean I think to 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 make uh, I was crying it's in a couple the of that needs to be a, it needs to be a bit more subtle answer right because yeah. i think I think it's kind of uh, double pronged so I think I may have been the the most visible part of you know excel um but that doesn't mean that excel isn't visible in you know venues that are not necessarily Twitter, right? Or TechCrunch, right? Axel yeah, yeah, is yeah. Ex- incredibly active, and, and, uh, and is, is very much in front of a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of very good entrepreneurs. Uh, and they are top of mind and top of consideration set. Um, and, and so, you know, there, there's always, there's kind of the public face, right? And then there's what they actually do. And I think, uh, you know, Axel has very, um, has great people, right? I mean, Sonali, Uh, Philippe and and Kevin and so I mean, I think they're a phenomenal team Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why they win a lot of deals in Europe as well, right? So um, It was hard to leave it was hard to leave Excel, um, but I left for a very simple simple reason, which is that um, you know I was in a position at uh, My when I was an entrepreneur that I got to make my own decisions Um, And at Excel Excel, I was in a supporting role, you know, vice president meant um, I was working for other people helping Find deals, helping execute deals, but I wasn't doing my own investments. And as an angel, you know, I'd I'd uh, I'd back Lastfm, I'd back Montfins stay and Skimlinks and a bunch of other companies. So that actually, yeah. and uh, and I that's what I love to do. So you know, when Sunstone came along and actually gave me the opportunity to to become um, a professional investor and do my own deals, that's just. Um, that was just a very good offer, right? And, uh, okay. and I think in terms of kind of uh, the, the, the actual offer, they're very Scandinavian about it, which is that we're all equal, right? Which is, uh, which is fantastic. I think in a London-based fund, before you become a fully equal partner, it takes, you know, years and years and hard work. So for that reason, Sunset was incredibly attractive. I think it is, uh, it's a fantastic platform to operate on. Um, mm. You know, they have a strong brand. Um, I actually don't think I'm the most well-known partner at Sunset. I think Nikolai Nyholm, who's probably less known in London, but more known in the Nordics than I am, um, they have, um, you know, a, a, managing partner, um, Jimmy, who has kind of run mutual funds, um, run his own companies before he founded Sunstone. And so I, I think it's a, and, and Christian who did it, the original Prezi investment. So I think that's a very good kind of mix of people. So for yeah. me, it was kind of, uh, you know, the, the decision to leave Excel was, uh, was not an easy one, but I also hadn't been there very long, right? It was like a year and a bit.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I guess the semantics thing really, cause I think it's sort of like the perception of the vice president.
2: Yeah, no one knows uh, quite what that, 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 that vice means. president yeah. is just
1: a supporting role, right? Like everyone yeah,
2: yeah. assumes that it's something cool, but. Same in banking. Right, yeah. exactly. How is it? yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not managing director or VP,
0: director, MD. Right, exactly. And I meant yeah. some MDs that don't do a whole lot either.
2: Right.
1: So that's another title that gets tossed around. I had, I had <laughs> another question, actually. Just, this is actually just an earlier point, not a devil's advocate question. was just yeah. something you mentioned earlier, which was um, about uh, Sunstone um, being quite proactive about co investing. And you mentioned the phrase. Um, Uh, friends and partner funds right um i was just curious because i mean this is this kind of interesting from an ecosystem perspective you know who's on that list and how do you define them like who's a friend and a partner fund who are sort of the the vcs that you know and like or and how do you decide who they are is it is it literally a long time of relationships is it are there people that you might pick up the phone to first if so yeah for sure
2: i mean i think i think you kind of pick your list of favorite people and you have um, you know in this business, you are always in working in the interest of the company, so you're kind of asking yourself, you know who could I work with that would make this company better right? yep. and who who could invest and help this company um so I think when we when I kind of say you know friends and um you know it is is very personal on a personal level, you know there are funds out there that are that have good brands where I say, you know what I think that person or that person at that fund is uh, is is better because they might be more analytical, they might be hungrier, they might you know not have a huge portfolio, and they might actually be able to put in legwork with the company, or we might just be very aligned when it kind of comes to uh, you know, how we view this industry and what we want the company to become. So um, so yes, it's based on personal relationships, and uh, and very frankly, brand of the fund comes second. And I would tell every entrepreneur always. Um, don't be blinded by Sequoia or Andreessen and Horowitz or Index or... You know, in the end, it depends on the partner you're working with, right? Mm. And don't get me wrong. I mean, those funds are very careful about selecting the people. But, I'm, you know, every place has great people and good people and, um, and more average people, right? So just be sure about who you're working with because you're going to be working with that person for five A to eight time. years,
1: right? It's just interesting to me. I, I, I find it an interesting idea because, you know, from the outside VCs, you know, they often... Uh, it's all about sort of competition for deals and deal flow and, and kind of getting the best deals. But then there's also this other world, which is like people who are kind of close friends. It's pretty frenemies, chummy. chummy. It is pretty chummy. You know, it, there's a whole world underneath, which is like yeah. they know every VC knows if they're going to have to pick up the phone who the first other VC they'll call is. I've always found this, like everybody mentally, they don't usually reveal it, but everyone's got the, they just know. And it's probably just from years and years of
2: other, and sure. and, and,
1: yeah. and
2: I, just, I, mean, I think I think that's kind of uh, information asymmetry is the biggest issue that an entrepreneur is, entrepreneur has when raising capital, right? Like you know, we do this all the time, right? We negotiate deals all the time. We know the deal terms, right? We, this is customary. This is what we always get, right? And and um, and we know the people we want to work with, right? And the entrepreneur kind of goes into it and is essentially within a space of three to six months asked to marry himself and his company to this guy that he barely knows, right? Um, yeah, for, and seven, I think,
0: for seven years,
2: right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very, that's a really tough decision to make. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like negotiating a prenup without like barely having understood the concept of marriage. And so I think for that reason, we try to be extremely transparent. Uh, we try to be very entrepreneur friendly. Um, but everyone's going to tell you that. Right so, so, <laughs> yeah. so in the end, like, that 's probably not differentiating don't get me, like competition is fierce, it can be very fierce um, and, um, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, right and I think it 's probably very healthy
0: right? mm. you know we have a lot of people that are listening from the states, and uh, i don 't think they understand the little nuances of what goes on in europe and, and Bryce
1: brought in a magazine and it, it outlined uh, uh, what is it wired is that it this is the uh just come out today, hot off the press. Wired uh, Europe's one hundred hottest startups. Right, so it's
0: listing like the top ten startups in a variety of cities, from Barcelona to Moscow to, to London. But so, just, if your company
2: is not in there, are you going to fail, or is it like? It's all press. Don't listen to the press, <laughs> including is, us. That
1: is that <laughs> who is who edited the, this. The question. Well, that <laughs> yes. is the question. Yeah, but yeah. if um, you
0: could tell us, um, you know, you you live on the continent. You you grew up on the continent. Uh, what's the difference if I walked into a uh, to five startups in Berlin versus five in London? What would I f- What would feel different? What's different about the people, the work ethic, the funding, the ecosystem? Can you just break it down for us?
2: Well, I mean, I think I think using Berlin is a very interesting example because the uh, diversity of startups in Berlin that you find is uh-huh. uh, is very interesting, right? You find startups in Berlin that are operating exactly the same way a startup in London would operate. Um, But Berlin also has very savvy entrepreneurs that have come out of rocket or, um, you know, that have a ton of experience from their former positions. um, And they are very, you know, just savvy operators, right? Good executors. So I think in Berlin, to some extent, you find more of those startups that are just run super well. Um, I think the German work culture is not necessarily conducive to a startup. So I think you'll find people putting in longer hours in London in general. Um, the German work culture is do your nine hours and go home. Do your eight hours and go home. Yes, do okay. your eight hours well. Whereas the uh, the London equivalent is do your fourteen hours in a you know, playful setting. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and Silicon Valley <laughs> yes. is do your eighteen hours and shut up. Or? Right. Well, I, I mean, I think they, I, I think there is a difference. Um, but it's very. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint, right? Because you have different yeah. types of companies in London as well. And it's very hard to, if you compare the averages, um, you'll find more tactical, um, less pie in the sky kind of startups in Berlin. Um, you'll find, uh, you'll find semi big visions in London. Um, but often, um, you know, uh, people who uh, were who in media and so on. And then in the Bay Area, you'll find extremely kind of sophisticated tech entrepreneurs who are focused on getting the best kind of, uh, you know, talent in the Bay Area that they can recruit and the best investors. And, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's a different kind of, uh, it's a different level of operating there to some extent, because it's so well established what you need to do um, in the first couple of months. Uh, In Europe, it's more haphazard, right? You try to put together the best team that you can, but I mean, just culturally, not everyone's willing to join a startup, right?
0: Okay. No, that's good. I keep hearing about Berlin, but, you know, I haven't been, I haven't felt the scene I didn't, I just don't know what it's like. So well, it's all about
1: the big debate in Berlin is all about rocket. Do you know about rocket? This is I've a, heard the term. So there's a, rocket internet is a very, I don't know if you want to explain it, Max, but it's a, it's a very, very unique, shall we say, uh, accelerator in Europe as a whole. Um,
2: I mean, it's a company builder, right? I mean, they build companies, they take uh, concepts they believe can be potentially big businesses um, and, uh, and supply um, those concepts with entrepreneurs if you want it, or managers, right? Then uh, development, marketing capability, and so on. And then they kind of spin out that company from uh, from within Rocket. So it's mo- I, I mean, I would say it's more than an accelerator. It's really an incubator, right? It's mm. trying to really build, create new companies. They've been very successful. I mean, they, uh, they own what is... Uh, close to the largest e-commerce um, company in Europe, which is Orlando. Um, mm-hmm. They have a couple of other ones like that in the pipeline. Home24 is probably the the second largest one. Mm-hmm. And they do uh, things around the world. right? So uh, they have things in Brazil and in Southeast Asia. And it's, I mean, it's a phenomenal achievement. right? You, you, you're a former
0: entrepreneur, and it uh, means that you, you must miss operating to a certain extent. So we always ask people in that chair, right. if, if you had to to quit your job right now and I put you back in London with, say, 5 million pounds and there was an industry that you wanted to get into where you would be the CEO again. What, what, what's exciting right now? Like, what would, you, what would you do if it was London as if far as... If you gave
2: me 5 million pounds, I'd probably yeah. invest that very in one company in other startups. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. In one company. So, the, I mean, there's, a, there's an excellent... Um, Reason why I, I'm I'm an investor and not an entrepreneur. I think I'm a better investor than I'm I am an entrepreneur. You know the uh, the entrepreneurship side with the attention to detail and the people management and so on. That's just I'm not as good as a, at it as uh, as other people and uh, and I'm a much better stock picker, right? I think um, it's a very hard question. You know, if I if I had to put five million pounds into a company, because that's a lot um, of money. Um, I think. If I were to uh, double down on an industry um, with that amount of money, I would probably do something either in payments or in travel. Um, I think both of those segments are very interesting. Um, payments is hard to do um, with regulatory barriers to entry, um, but you can still do very interesting things, right? I mean, I don't understand. I've, I have a friend who runs um, who runs SumUp. I looked for investment at Izettle, right? Um, those are all like the competitors of Square in the U.S. Um, for me, the mobile wallet is not solved, right? I mean, there's absolutely no reason why my credit card shouldn't be somehow integrated into my mobile phone. And the easiest way to do that is the way Halo does it, which is to do stored card, right? You just store your card on your phone, and then if you want to pay someone, you put in their email address. So why has no one done a mobile PayPal? Like, I, don't, I don't get it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the end game of a square anyway. So I think there's a way to shortcut that and just go over the top and do like the WhatsApp of payment. And there's actually a company here in the UK that's trying to do that, which is pretty cool. Um, I think I like travel in general because it's a, uh, you know, it's a segment that makes people dream, it's very nice. It's like I love traveling. I love seeing new places, um, and uh, and I think travel is uh, is just great because it has this universe of companies that want to acquire cool travel startups, and that's why I think it's just something interesting to do uh, to do in that. In that space there's a lot to be left to be done right i mean i think TripAdvisor is not the the, the be-all end-all of uh how to find a hotel right travago is not the best meta search for hotels right um there's a company in uh, in berlin called go euro that's actually trying to do you know trying to make you uh compare buses and trains versus flights because for some distances they're just the better um the better mode of transportation so i think there's a lot you can do in travel and travel is the biggest e-commerce segment it's very profitable
0: so mm. Interesting. I haven't heard travel brought up before. So I know that's very good. When you get an email from someone that says, Hey Max, uh, look at this company or look at our company. Is there like three things that come up first? Like, you know, who, what, where, or blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, you must get pitched all the time. Yeah. Do you get pitched too much?
2: Don't say that before. Well, too much (laughs) is, too much is interesting. Sometimes I get pitched in the wrong settings, right? Like you kind of like the the urinal (laughs) in the bathroom is a great (laughs) one. Um, on a plane, right? so you're sitting next to some random dude, and then he starts kind of going on about it. Eh,
0: That's your mistake for telling him what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so.
2: <laughs> I yeah, Sometimes they look over and they kind of see, oh, you're looking at a business plan. Um, I think ideally you want kind of one concise sentence about what it is that the company does. Um, the people are most important, and oftentimes I find myself having to search for the name um, and then you know what that person has done before. It shouldn't determine how you see them, but right now you have nothing to judge them with, right? So you do judge them what university did they go to, what have they done before, what companies were they at? you know what role did they have in those companies um, I think that is it is quite important like to 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 decide on whether you want to take a call with someone or not i am um, I err on the side of taking more calls rather than less um, and you know that means that the days are long, but it's, uh, it's very gratifying at least, right? Because also you can, um, even if you won't invest in a large majority of things that you see, you can try to find people and what you think is the right way. And for them, it's a data point, you know, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but it's a piece of advice, and, uh, and if they collate that from 10 or 15 people, you know, maybe that's helpful. Mm. So.
0: And have you met people like that, that three years later you've done business with, or four years later, that have just come around with a different business idea you, that you kind of bump into again?
2: Yes, definitely. You know, I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, you don't invest in them the first time around and maybe the company does pretty well, but not great. And then they come back with another concept and they've learned a lot. So those are, I mean, I really like entrepreneurs who've had a you know, failed or a, a middling outcome, right, um, before just because they're still hungry and they also know what they're doing, which is great. So you don't have to pay for them to make the same old mistakes. Um, the other thing is, uh, is, I mean, I've went through my inbox the other day and just looked at emails that I got from... Um, you know from founders today who are very successful who are like asking for seed money or i mean i found this wonderful email from arnaud who founded house trip and as he was like hi you know we're doing something in kind of the home uh in the in the vacation listing space and we don't really have a product yet but people really like us and hey do you want to talk and i send him back like a two-liner saying hey dude just you know email me again when you have a product yeah. and he never did right which is you know fair enough that was kind of my fault for not taking the call with him and um and today that company is uh you know very successful it's raised a ton of money um and uh so you come across people again and again and uh, and that's i think that's why also why it's important to just you know operate in the way that we at sunstone and i think other people in this industry are trying to do which is to you know to give the young um burgeoning slightly green maybe slightly naive entrepreneur um the time of day and i think that's a i think that's a healthy thing to do for yeah. the entire industry do you like to
0: see a failure under their belt
2: I mean I think it's I think it's better than nothing for sure. I think it means they have some experience. Um other people who have had an easy success, you know, um as a pattern recognition that doesn't necessarily result in the, in another good company. Right? Sometimes they raise too much money or they're just the chairman of the company, um you know, and they they don't really get involved. I mean, uh, you know, just a ton of things that come to mind but I'm not going to name names, but it's you know, serial entrepreneurs are not necessarily um uh Great entrepreneurs to invest in the second time around. But also that is, you know, a rule that is, is not necessarily steadfast, right? Mm.
0: Yeah, rule to be broken. Bryce, what am I missing here? I mean, I always look at this kind of on the surface, but you kind of know what's going on behind the scenes. What, uh, what else do we need to be asking him uh, when it comes from, you know,
1: his perspective as a VC? Are you at risk of finding yourself embroiled in a Scandinavian war? I've seen Stockholm Scandinavian war I've seen Stockholm and Finland in this wide top 100 right. I've not seen Copenhagen and Lord knows where Oslo is soon well I mean here's the thing right you, you have these They're very competitive in Scandinavia I don't know if you know that. they all like <laughs> it's, it's like the most stylish yet most competitive part of the world
0: yeah, explain that. Or can you, with the relationship you guys have with the Norwegians, the Swedens, the Finns?
2: I mean, I'm not Danish, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of an impartial observer here. Um, yeah. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just, given my German heritage, I'm just happy that they, you know, they don't look at me and go, <laughs> well, we don't like those people. Um, so I think Copenhagen is, um, is a very good place to found a company. Um, if you take Just Eat, which is one of the most successful tech firms in Europe, was founded in Copenhagen. Today, it's classified as a UK company. You know, maybe they've done that for tax reasons. Maybe they've done it for operating reasons. I think Copenhagen is a good place to start. Um, it's, uh, it's fairly insulated. There's not much competition. Um, there's a deep pool of talent that you can draw from. It's expensive compared to a Berlin, but uh, it's not necessarily expensive compared to a London. Mm. Um, so do I think right now the hubs in Europe are London, Berlin, and Stockholm? Absolutely. Like, no question. But then, you know, Helsinki has a specialty in gaming. Norway has a specialty in uh, in kind of oil and gas production technologies. Um, Copenhagen doesn't have a specialty yet, and I think uh, it's completely fine. Um, but, you know, we have a very strong um, background. Um, we have a deep pool of angel investors with Jesper book who, uh, who founded Just Eat, um, with the Klaus Nüger, who, who ran Just Eat, uh, mm-hmm. with the Janus Fries, who founded Skype, right, with Morten Lund, who's uh, still very mm-hmm. active locally, with Thomas Madsen Mugdahl, who founded Podio, which was one of our investments that was sold to Citrix, Tommy Ehlers, who, who, who sold Zip to Vodafone and then did it again with, uh, with Podio as the CEO. So, I mean, you know,
1: there's, there's tons of stuff in, uh, in Copenhagen. See, this is why we started the first Silicon Drinkabout outside of London in Copenhagen. Right. I'm just saying, just saying. We got there first. Shameless we
0: self-promotion.
1: Knew. We knew it's in there. Actually, but the reason I asked that, being not flippant at all, but since we started drink about in Copenhagen, we've now had emails from Stockholm and Oslo, and both of them said we're not so worried about Norway, but we can't make sure the other one gets it first. Right. Very competitive.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, we've recently had this, this, this uh, announcement of the Twitter IPO, and I was wondering what we can learn from this this IPO as far as... What, I haven't read the documents. No, as far as whether it's profitable or not or whether we think it's, you know...
2: Have you read the filing? Is it profitable? I, I think it's not. I've, yeah. That's yeah. What, kind
0: of what I read. but not, Or how much do you look to the States as, what, as far as what they're doing? Do you see a lot of people in Europe that come to you that are just are taking ideas from the U.S.? And trying them
2: out in Europe or do you find that things are completely separate uh, well, like you're own- no, they're very integrated I mean the, the information sharing between kind of Europe and the u.s. Is, uh, is constant We like backing concepts that are already working in the u.s. We love taking companies to the u.s. like presley and issue and uh, and podio that that are working in Europe and and Can work as well in the u.s. The u.s. is the largest domestic market for uh, for software products, right? And um, And it's where all the acquirers are so the large majority of our investments get if they get acquired, they get sold to uh, U.S. companies. So it's very important for us to, uh, you know, to, to know what's going on in the U.S. To that end, we have a Menlo Park office with uh, with a partner there who uh, is also very active in kind of recruiting and helping um, set our co- helping our company set up shop there, um, in uh, in helping them sell and develop first business relationships. So, um, so yeah, for us, it's super important.
1: Okay. So do you, do you, I was actually going to ask you? That's uh, one of my questions. Um, so do you guys invest? In U.S. or do you predominantly focus on the investment here in Europe, and then you take them there when you've grown with them?
2: So, uh, I think I mean over eighty percent of our investments are supposed to be in Europe, um, and I think up to this point almost hundred percent are. So yeah. we like investing in Europe. Um, you know, we're local here. This is where we know the market. We see the occasional deal in the U.S. that might be good enough for us to uh, to co-invest with another uh, with a with a U.S. investor, but uh, but our businesses in Europe. So yes, is it is it flipping companies to the U.S. Um, sure, but I, I mean, in the end, it's about building a good business, right? Mm. And and whether that means the first market is Copenhagen, uh, Denmark, or whether it is in Germany, or or whether the company goes to the U.S. very quickly, just because all its customers are there and it has an innovative product, and, and corporates in the U.S. are more likely to buy than uh, than European companies. We don't really care that much.
1: Mm. That's oh, just interesting. I always like that.
0: Yeah, no, I like you, people in Europe. Is, is I mean, is, as, a, as a VC guy or as a fund manager, how how much time I ask Simon Cook the same question? Do you spend raising money versus investing? I mean, right. it's it's this tough role you have. The jewel, the two <laughs> sides of the, the coin. And most guys don't like one or the other, but
2: yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like asking a CEO. You know, um, you know how, how much time do you spend operating the business versus how much time do you spend fundraising? Um, I mean, for us, the uh, you know, we, we fundraise once every four years or so, right? Um, now, with Sunstone, I've joined a firm that raised its last fund um, at the tail end of 2011, made its first investments from uh, in 2012. So we still have another two years or so of uh, of fresh investment capital left. That means, um, you know, the earliest we need to we need to go out to fundraise is in some in the next. Uh, two years, probably at the uh, at the end of those two years. Um, so for me, my experience fundraising has been, uh, is, is not non-existent, but it's very low, right? So I don't spend um, much time worrying about fundraising. I like taking meetings with limited partners, not just because um, that'll help us fundraise, having built the relationship, but because it's an interesting perspective on our market, right? It's, a, it's an outsider's view on which teams are doing well, what strategies are working in Europe, um, why they're uh, excited about European venture, or why they're reluctant to invest in European venture. right now? I mean, right now, our entire industry has to fight against um, LPs thinking that European venture capital has, does not work because it hasn't worked in the past. And that's why I'm desperately hoping for the IPOs of some of these companies, right? Because they will show the limited partners so uh, it seems like we're under attack. <laughs> they, they, they found out where we are.
0: They right. fly those double rotor helicopters. This, uh, what are they they, they land it right over here by a pitch. So. Now it's because I turned
2: my phone off. This is what happens when no, I right. turn my so, phone off for it's an hour. a yeah. ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, anyway, so a, so just to conclude on that, the um, so I, I mean I think the limited partner view of our industry is, is super important. That's how um, capital will keep flowing to startups. Um, it's how uh, you know it's uh, it's how we justify um, our existence and. Um, I think it's, that relationship is very important. So it's important to me to keep it right now. You know, uh, less than 5% of my time is spent on
0: that. Yeah. Okay. Just just an overall question. Well, It's a very simple question too, but what's the biggest mistake you see startups making? Is it a lack of financing or is there something? Because you get to see a lot of things where you're just like, I could have told you not to do that, that, and that. Is there some commonality you see?
2: It's a very hard question to answer because... Um, because it's so different. I think right now we're seeing a trend towards people setting up companies for the hell of it. And that's very sad and slightly scary, right? It's gotten so easy to set up a company that people are doing that because they feel like they need to, they feel like they can. Um, and a lot of people um, who are first-time entrepreneurs would probably benefit from staying with the awesome companies they've been in before, like a Spotify or a, Rovio, right? Um, it's 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 nice to see young people gaining more experience in those positions and, and not leave so early on the one hand. On the other hand, it's great that people are excited about entrepreneurship. So it's it's hard for me to, to kind of answer that question. The biggest mistake is if you're not passionate about something, right? If you're not really interested in building a large business, there's a question of why you're founding a company, right? And that... I see that quite a bit and it doesn't, it's very difficult. I mean, you can't tell an entrepreneur, man, you shouldn't be doing this at all. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I don't think you're ready yet. Right. Or I think this is a terrible, I mean, I do sometimes tell people it's a terrible idea, but it's, but telling them, you know, at this point in their career, you know, they've already made that decision. They've taken the plunge. So all you can do right now is try to you know, help them see that it goes relatively well. Um, The other biggest issue I think is that people are doing things because, um, they think theoretically it needs to be done um, or they're building a product that they think should exist rather than making sure that they're building something that people want. I, mean, I think everywhere in venture, that's the, that's the biggest problem. And it's compounded by the fact that if it makes sense to venture, right, they'll raise a lot of money and then they'll try to push that product into the market. And that's even worse, right? Because now they're not only are they trying to sell something that people don't want, but they're spending a lot of money trying to sell something that people don't want. Mm. Um, and yeah. I, I think those are some of the biggest issues. Um, the limiting factor in, in Europe continues to be we don't have enough quality management. So I, I sometimes wish we had some, a bit fewer companies and, um, and a bit more focus on kind of making those companies succeed.
0: Is, it, is like the, the tech startup the, the, the new rock star? Is that why a lot of people just a little want bit. to be the startup guy? A little
2: bit. Yeah, I think yeah it's kind right. of, uh, you know, it's the nerdy sheet kind of thing. You must,
0: You must see this all the time. No comment? Couldn't possibly comment.
1: Um but let's be honest, I mean it is you can track you can track over the past five to ten years the way that it has moved from a subculture into popular culture in a very big way. And I think you know, I think I've probably said this on the show before, but when you start making films like the social network about, you know, that suddenly that's a cinema, that's you know, millions of kids and young people going to see these films and it's like all I have to do is get a marker and write on a piece of glass and then I'm going to be famous and screw my mates over Um, and rich and rich right like those sort of moments I think and and also you know the way that I think we talk about quite a lot but the way that technology has become seamless rather than like a thing that only you know the geeky did I mean we have these phones in our pockets we have apps and like the, the media covers as mainstream um, yeah you know, it's absolutely ubiquitous exactly sure. and that's where you start to shift and so people are like oh okay so they see this thing and they say okay well you know you look at obviously the u.s is where a lot of this popular culture cultural kind of influence around startups, comes from television culture tv culture film culture and a lot of people are young and then it focuses on the most successful and a lot of those are very young and so then you have this generation of people thinking that this is a get rich quick game yeah and that it's a game you played and the question it's interesting your point i had a friend who's um who works at the bbc and she was she lived in new york for a while and she was kind of looking at this from like a I'm struggling to find working class entrepreneurs because a lot of the people that come and pitch me stuff are like trust fund kids or middle class kids who that like, isn't they can afford to yeah. take a few years out and do this lifestyle thing because it's cool. Rather than they desperately need to make this work or they are going to lose, lose it all. And you know, and I, I think there's to Max's point, there's there's kind of arguments for both in that you need that optimism to get started somewhere. Everyone's gotta start somewhere and nobody's gonna know what they're doing in the beginning. But there's also this kind of like are you doing it because you love it or are you doing it? Because it's cool, and you saw a film, and you know, like yeah. yeah, no, I can
2: see it. I mean, the one thing I would wish on this industry was better media. Um, I think, um, I mean, I'm everyone's going to hate me for this, but I'm I'm not going to name publications. But everyone knows what the big blogs are in media. Um, the quality of news reporting in tech is terrible, right? Um, because people because they make it seem like a get-rich-quick scheme. Because they make it seem like startup lottery. Because they don't. Properly report on what the drivers of a business are, because it's just not really the journalist's fault, right? It's just that a lot of these publications are uh, run and 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 um, employ people that don't have the commercial experience, right? And then and so you get relatively superficial reporting that um, that just makes people have the wrong idea of what it is to run a company or or or, or how you know how things like enterprise sales work or how telesales work or you know, how online marketing actually works. Um, and I think that's, that's a pity, right? I mm-hmm. think we, uh, you know, when, when Milo launched the kernel, actually I was very excited about when he said, you know, I'm gonna do deeper tech reporting um, because I want someone to dig into the bowels of a business and and tell me what makes it work, right? What are the key performance um, indicators that that drive decision-making, right? What matters about a subscription, um, you know, model startup, and there are a lot of things that, you know, that aren't, you know, that you cannot learn online, which is insane. Because I mean, you know, shouldn't be, shouldn't this be the biggest repository of, you know, of knowledge that we have in the world? The best place to to uh, to actually get knowledge about startups is probably Quora, right? Because actually, people who know what they're talking about are answering questions um, with some level of substance, right? And. Uh, and there is no depth in tech reporting. And that, um,
1: that's really too bad. So, do you, think, do you think then on that European scale, to follow up on that point, that, um, that the kernel's doing that now? Do you think that's where it's happening? Or do you think that it's not happening anywhere? Do you think it's kind of changing? It's interesting that you, you mark out the kernel because, of course, it's, it's a, a very unique and controversial. We've, we've spoken about yeah. having potentially having Milo come in at some point um, yeah. um, to talk about it because it is an interesting concept. Um, and divisive Yeah, but whether or not i think
2: i think milo's taken in a different direction which i cannot fault him for right because i mean first of all he's a friend so i i think um you know he he's not had the easiest time and he's he's kind of come back and uh, and that's great um i think um when he said he wanted more depth and kind of longer pieces and so on um he has taken people that actually have something to say and he's created um Controversy and uh, and that's uh, attracted traffic and um, and he needs traffic to sell ads and you know that's a media startup, right? That's great. What I was looking for is slightly different, mm. but I also think that uh, had he done that, uh, his business probably wouldn't be successful, right? So I can't really fault him for that. Um, but if you run a media startup, you know the most successful one is the Huffington Post. Right. And that, that's definitely, definitely not kind of depth, <laughs> deep
1: reporting, right? No. Jesus. I love Ariana, but the
2: front
0: page of the Huffington Post, <laughs> yes. it's yeah. a ma- it'll make you want
1: to hang Free yourself. Well, I thought, well, you Jesus. know, the other one is the Daily Mail, so you're stuck between a real rock and a hard place on that one, yes. but the Daily yeah. Mail is being the most profitable for yes. so that exact reason, about links yeah. and traffic, which is, which is a valid point. I've got to
0: finish up with the advice question, Max. We, ha- we ask everyone this question, so I'm not singling you out. Uh, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Max Niederhofer and give that young man some advice...
2: <laughs> what would you tell to him? the 20 year old yeah 20 all right well the concrete advice you know which is kind of like the, the the when you time travel and you get the lottery numbers the concrete advice is someone will offer you a weird founding position in a gambling startup in antigua take it don't go to the hedge fund <laughs> don't, don't meet the goldman sachs dude don't finish university just take that you know, go for it, move to the Caribbean because that guy <laughs> is going to go on and sell that company for $70 million. He's going to spin a payment startup out of that company that he's going to sell for 600 million euros. And, and then he's going to start a successful hedge fund. Like, what are you thinking? Not joining this dude. Mm. Um, so that was the worst financial decision in terms of opportunity cost that I've ever made. Um, I've never heard that answer. Before. Yes. No, that, yes. that's the new one for us. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, i uh, there, there are a couple more of those. Um, the, the other thing is, I think, uh, persistence and tenacity, um, which is something that, you know, I mean, I think everyone has these things that they struggle with, right? And I'm intellectually a, a you know, a very kind of um, excitable person. I, I like things, and once I've understood them, and, uh, then I kind of get bored with them, right? And I think as an entrepreneur, um, my mistakes have been um, that I, I didn't, my well, main mistake has been that I didn't stick it out, right? I think, uh, you know, we were running my blog, which was a cool company. We're getting a million registered users. It was Europe's largest blogging network. You know, blogger.com had just sold. Um, we met Ev Williams here in London for, uh, for dinner. It was cool, but, you know, no one really knew how to make money off of blogging. And uh, we're growing nicely, but the revenues were kind of uh, not quite there. You know, we're doing a couple hundred K a year. And so, sh- so I decided to leave, and I was the kind of chief operating officer or founder or co-founder of the company and um you know and that hit that company hard it was not it was not good if we had stuck it out we might have created you know a tumbler or at least you know kind of a an exit that was a couple hundred million dollars mm. that, that would have been nice um not dissimilar right like with uh, with quirly i sold very quickly right um that business could have been something more now it was a fine exit for me i was happy with it we were bootstrapped and so on but i think as an entrepreneur you need more staying power and um and I, everyone that I, I kind of see that has gone through that trough um, and that has come out the other side, I have a lot of respect for. And, um, and so my advice to myself would be, you know what? might look very bleak now, but uh, you'll figure it out, right? Just don't hop from one thing to the next.
0: Okay. On that same advice question to, the, to that 20-year-old uh, young man or a young lady that's listening to us right now, what, what advice do you have to give to them if they want to, I don't know, become a tech startup star or become a VC one day? What do you tell them?
2: Right. I don't know. Wear sunscreen. Floss. Right. Like. <laughs> this is specifically, <laughs> to <into> <laughs> specifically to get into the business. Specifically to get into the business. I think go and join a team that you think is very good and work on that. Win that team for two years, three years. Learn all you can. Go from one position in a startup to the next. I think startups are a perfect place to get a lot of responsibility very early. That's what's exciting about it. You can join it as a 20 or 21 year old and you can be running a part of it, you know, a company that has 100 people the next year. Right. That's amazing. Um, so I think I think kind of putting in that time and learning properly um, is uh, is very much worth it. Um, I think. You know try and go to the best school best university that you can because everyone in the society seems to have bought into the fact that um you know, folks who uh, who have gone to good schools um are are you know better at doing some things now that is not necessarily true so please drop out of that school when you when you don't feel like it anymore um but I think going through that um experience of of um of being somewhere at university and researching subjects I think is interesting um I think getting into venture um is incredibly difficult, uh, and, um, and it, you know, it might not be for everyone. It's, I, I can honestly not give that person any good advice except for you know, work at a startup, maybe found a startup, get, um, get some experience in this industry before you try and make the switch to the investment side. Um, you're always going to be a better VC if you're a very successful entrepreneur. Um, I firmly believe that. We probably don't have enough VCs in Europe that are um, former entrepreneurs. Um, I think it's getting better. We're not quite there yet. Um, and then from that perspective, I mean, if you look at the most successful uh, VCs in the US, maybe uh, the successful entrepreneurs don't make the best venture capitalists in terms of returns, right? You know, Michael Moritz, right? Tom Perkins. I mean, all those guys. Um, actually, Tom Perkins was an entrepreneur. Michael Moritz was a journalist, right? So, you know, it, all these prescriptions don't mean anything. Um, I think do what you enjoy, right? And um, For me, the most attractive thing about this industry has always been the freedom um, to operate in, um, you know, in something that that you are a part of defining. Right? You're not one of those ants crawling out of the tube at you know seven in the morning to go into some anonymous bank where you're just a cog in the machine. Right? You can make a real difference. I think that's very nice. So, you know, find your own way. I think is probably uh, the final piece of it. advice. It's good
0: advice. Good advice. Wow, that was good all around. One of our best answers. Um, Max, thanks so much for coming. I wish you you all the best tonight at Chew the Fat.
1: Oh yeah, seven p.m. It's (sighs) going to be good, right? Yeah, we got three VCs and Ben Southworth giving the old uh, Ben Southworth grilling treatment. Should be interesting. (laughs) That should be be much more. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more jumping up and down and uh, fun and and games. Uh, But uh, and hopefully, who knows? Max might get. Hopefully not too many pitches at the end of a long day, but you never know. You never oh, know.
2: At the very least, they'll get my email address and they can, uh, they can email me. and then, uh, We should put that actually somewhere in the video. Yes. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah,
0: so how do people get in touch with you? What's your Twitter? And can people email you straight?
2: Right, absolutely. Just email me. Okay. I, I mean, I think my Twitter is Max Niederhofer. Forget how to spell that. Um, try and Google will correct it. Um, it's max at Okay. And anybody can pitch
0: you anything.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, no, I'm very happy to. I mean, I may not take a, a call or a Skype with, with everyone, um, but at the very least, I'll, I'll send you a couple of lines back.
1: But I very do cool. recommend following him on Twitter. Do Google that name, at Max Niederhofer. Some great... I'm always talk, impressed yeah. by how accessible these VC guys are they're like email me you know I thought they're my <laughs> this, is, this is what I do I know just,
0: <laughs> I don't know I think a lot of people have big misconceptions about the VC world I said it before but I think they think you guys are up on these mountains with these long white beards and you choose the people that are going to be winners in this world and I don't think they understand that you have a difficult job as well and you got to find these companies that are scalable uh, am I wrong that's, what I, that's exactly what we're tackling tonight good good That's people, why you're here. Cool. The people element yeah excellent thanks so much for being on thank if, you if you guys are listening to us on itunes you can see our fresh faces bryce is looking extremely good today oh you uh,
1: stop on, it on, i'm on blushing
0: on our youtube channel uh silicon real uh we're on twitter as well at silicon real and uh, boom this is episode 15 uh if you guys have any suggestions for guests Please send them to our Twitter um, and uh, contact us. And there you go, man. We got
1: a bunch of cool guys set up for the next few weeks. We are on. We are on a roll. Nice to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Cool, good man. Be back. And good to meet uh, Max finally. Actually, it's a nice, nice way to meet someone for the first time. Yeah, I know. For sure. This is the best
0: way to meet people. <laughs> so, as we say, it's about the people. Uh, thanks, guys, for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Take care. Cheers. Do you see that? Is it like if you fly to Silicon Valley and hang out in Mountain View and all that stuff? Is that something that you notice right away that people seem to be? pushing in an extra gear, or driving a little harder?
2: There is a bit more uh, driving a little bit harder. I I do think that there are countervailing benefits here, but I I would love to see some of the work ethic just click up a notch here. But that's one reason that people with our accents tend to do well over here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm really glad you